0: Thanks so much for being here on a uh, Sunday morning. Yeah, very your precious time uh, on a Sunday morning. But we're really happy to see all your faces here. Um, we have here with us Hannah Alkaf. Can we all just give her a round of applause? Uh, thanks so much, Hannah, for making the time in your very busy schedule uh, in Singapore to visit um, this bookstore that's actually quite close to a lot of yeah, our No, actually,
1: thank you for having me. It's my first time here in such a lovely yeah, bookstore. Books, very it's lovely. actually, such I think, a lovely bookstore. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, Hana is a Malaysian author. She has, uh, according to her profile, she has oh. spent all her life, almost all her life oh. in KL. Um, yeah except for the six years where she spent uh, pursuing her studies in Chicago. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> And she has, her first book ever is The Weight of Our Sky, which <laughs> which is up okay. there. Um, it was published <laughs> in 2019. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that explores a lot of um, issues that I think is quite close to um, a lot of People in like Singapore and also the other like Southeast Asian communities, as well, it talks about yeah. mental illness, uh, racism, things like that. And now all all we have stuff. with her
2: <laughs> all we, the fun
0: stuff. She just published her book uh, *Hamra and the Jungle of Memories*, which is also a very exciting <laughs> young adult novel. And uh, today we'll be talking about how she on- incorporates. Um, Malay mythology mm. or like Southeast Asian mythology and folklore into fiction, and a story that features like young children and yeah. things like that. So, yeah, very excited to <laughs> have here with us. So I guess to start things off, mm-hmm. um, just a, uh because it's quite a small and intimate group, I hope yes. like you guys don't feel um, nervous to just. Say uh, yeah, basically if anybody wants have, to ask questions at yeah, any time. Interrupt things. me or things like oh, that yeah. if you yeah. want to. Interrupt me also okay.
1: You <laughs> 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 should ask questions at any time. It's such a it, it's a small group so like
0: make the most of the intimacy of the session. You, know? you can ask yeah. me anything anytime. So, um, can I get a show of hands who finished this book already? Yeah, who has finished this book? <laughs> okay. <I did. laughs> Okay, so um, a few have, a few have not. Mm, that's okay. Then I guess we'll, we'll <laughs> not include too many spoilers, I think. No promises, I might slip out some eh, spoilers. <laughs> la. <Yeah. laughs> buy, right? It's a book session. Okay, okay. I shall be more conscious about not slipping <laughs> out spoilers. Okay, so um, but for those of you who are not very familiar, this book is uh, set... In Langkawi, yeah. features a very young and sprightly girl <laughs> who's very passionate about the thing she's passionate. And yeah. I wanted to know um, what were where did you draw inspirations from creating such a character, Hamra, with yeah. all her flaws, yes. with all with all her thoughts and <laughs> passions. Oh. And I'm very curious about that. Um, yeah.
1: Hamra and the Jungle of
0: Memories, just to
1: set the stage a little bit, is a book that's set during um, the pandemic. It's a book that's set during when the lockdowns first began in Malaysia. Uh, And Hamra lives in Langkawi. And if you're familiar with Langkawi, it's an island in Malaysia. It's a Malaysian island. And so during the lockdowns, Langkawi is completely shut off from the rest of the world. Because no ferries were coming in and out, no planes were coming in and out, nobody was allowed to leave and nobody was allowed to come in. So, Hamra is coming from a place where she's very isolated, she's very lonely, she's frustrated, she's desperate, you know, the, she's, she's dealing with the loss of a life that she has always known, um, which all of us were feeling at the time. Um, but. I wanted to explore what that would have been like for a child Um, because I was seeing that in my own kids during the pandemic and I was feeling it myself. It was probably the most burnt out I've ever been. Um, (laughs) The most burnt out I've ever been. Um, And so I really wanted to write something that would validate how kids were feeling at the time, allow them to have a mirror to their own experiences at the time. Um, as to the inspiration, that's the reason that Hamra, She use such nice words, she's sprightly, she's <laughs> spirited and passionate, she's angry, Hamra is a very angry little girl and this leads her to make rash and reckless decisions that you as the reader may sometimes be frustrated by, but that's a very human thing, that's a very normal thing and that's exactly what we were all feeling and thinking at the time. Um, so that's, that's the context that I wanted to give you for that. But as to the inspiration, um, Hamra is a loose retelling of uh, Little Red Riding Hood. And the, re- the way that came about was I was talking to a friend, and at the time there was such a boom of retellings in young adult and middle grade fiction. There were so many people attempting retellings at the time. So I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be another author and I was Telling her, you know, I I would really love to attempt a retelling at at some point, especially a retelling of a Western fairy tale. Because I like the idea of taking... Because so many things filter to us from the West and become canon for us. Everybody here knows the tale of Little Red Riding Hood. It did not originate here, but somehow we all know it and it's very familiar to us. And I like the idea of taking something that came to us from the West and repackaging it as something utterly and totally Malaysian and then giving it back and saying, it's your turn now to take something of ours. Um, Call it reverse colonisation, if you will. Um, I like like selling their fairy tale back Mm. to them as something completely ours. Mm. Um, And so, my friend said, you know, I could see you something doing really interesting with Little Red Riding Hood. And she said that and I went, you're right, I could. Um, Because I I, I have this tendency when people give me suggestions like that, it's almost like a prompt and then my brain starts going, Oh, what could I do with that? What could I do with that? Um, And that's how I came up with the idea. So, Hamra, uh, Little Red Riding Hood, um, Hamra is the little girl in the red hijab, the red tudung. Um, The big bad wolf is a harimau jadian, or wear a tiger. And the woods that Little Red Riding Hood goes through are the jungles of Langkawi. And just sort of flipped everything and made it as Malaysian as I could.
0: That's so interesting, and to be honest, from my experience reading it, right, I actually didn't really think too much about Little Red Riding Hood.
1: No, there yeah. are cues there. If you if you know what you're looking for, there are cues there that are t- that tell you that it's a Little Red Riding Hood retelling. But you could just read it as a
0: straight up fantasy adventure yeah, quest, exactly. and it would be fine as well. Exactly. Like, it and wouldn't um, take anything I mean, away from the reading experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nickname Little Red is like as telling as it gets. But mm. I feel that. Mm, as a reader, I didn't think about the so-called original fairy tale that right. this book drew inspiration from. I felt like it was a story of its own. Um, just the nickname, Little Red, okay, fine. Uh, and then there was also one part that you quoted the book wolf yeah. right? in her dreams um, mm-hmm. and where she said like, oh my, what big teeth you have. Now I was like, have, okay, yeah. that sounds familiar, but... Because that's a really creepy line if you <laughs> think about it
1: objectively. <laughs> that's true. I just really wanted um, to use it. Yeah, what and but I have.
0: think um, really like I felt that it was a story on its own because it was so unapologetically um, Malaysian, yes. I think. Um, even uh, as a singaporean uh, and someone who admittedly is not very uh familiar with all the (laughs) malay folklore (laughs) i was like what is this orang kerdil what is this um like i thought at one point that because um they were talking about banshees, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, oh. Yeah, but I was like, what's that? I didn't know. <laughs> that I didn't want to Google because no, 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 yeah. I, in case be, it was just too be scary. careful about stuff like that. Yeah, but I think it was um, the way that it was written was so rich in like all these like references. Even for someone who isn't that familiar, I could mm. still be immersed in that world, and Definitely. I think it's really, really cool. Thank yeah, you. Um, I wanted to go back on like. Hamra being an angry yes. uh, child, right? Mm. To be honest, um, I do think she's sprightly and passionate and things like that. But you're right, the anger was so felt. Mm. I actually felt irritated by her. Yeah. And I, I actually did feel like she's such an irritating character <laughs> to a, a lot of them uh, throughout a it's lot really of It's really nice book. to hear us up here, <laughs> No, 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 it's fair. It's, yeah, it's and, what I wanted for her. And I wanted to know, like, um, your thoughts and that, like, Hmm. What is, what does it mean to, how, how was your process writing a character with such real human flaws? And who were you writing for as well? Yeah.
1: Um, the process, <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's very hard to talk about process because to me Hamra was just a real little girl, mm. she's real. And because she's real, she can't exist to just be a perfect reflection of what you think a child should be. Mm. Because we are reading this as adults, most of us in the room are reading this book as adults and bringing all our preconceived notions of what a good child is supposed to be to the reading, mm. right? Because reading is a very personal experience, so you're bringing all your own thoughts and backgrounds and feelings into it. So no two people are going to receive a book in the same way, right? But. Kids are not like that man, no human is like that Kids are messy, so are we, we are messy too It's just that we've learned how to hide it better But children are messy Children have a lot of emotions and feelings And I think our tendency as adults is to want to tell them You know, behave and just think a little bit more about your actions And why are you doing this instead of doing this and doing this But the reality is, they're still figuring all of this out. And our job as adults is not to tell them to hide the emotions and the things that they're feeling, but rather to teach them how to manage them. And so, if you ask me who Hamra is written for, it's written for kids. It is a book that's written for kids. And alhamdulillah, I'm very happy if any adults enjoy it too. That's great. I'm very pleased for you. And me, because that means you're buying my book, thank you. (laughs) Um, But, Hamra is a book that's for kids. And kids of all types, of all kinds, deserve to see themselves in books. Including the kids whom we think of as difficult, or irritating, or Mm. angry. They deserve to see themselves too. And they deserve to see that there's a way to manage those emotions, to work their way through, and to come out on the other side stronger for it. They deserve to see those things. So yes, you, are, you, you should be irritated by <laughs> Hamra and she is a difficult child and you know what? Let her be. She, she, that's the journey that she has to undertake. And that's... If you ask me who it's written for, it's written for the difficult children. The children who are seen as difficult. They're not. They're just,
0: they just need more help figuring it out. I think that it's... I was conscious of that irritation I felt. Mm. And then I was thinking like, Oh my God, was I like this as like a thirteen year old or was I like this probably. As, yeah, probably right probably. maybe even worse probably at like, least I mean, she's brave and things yeah. like that. Hamra's very brave, but yeah I, I think it's just um what you say about like reading as an adult reading young adult mm. novels some some of us may feel like oh, oh my God, young adult is so right. like beneath us <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but it's actually um a reflection of how we may be Mm. uh, in the past and i think just being exposed or reading about a character who's so unapologetically um um, irritating i guess (laughs) (laughs) or maybe just like she just really headstrong and stubborn and things like that right and as and as as an adult i just feel like why is she doing these things but As a, if I were a teen or if I were her age, maybe I'd read that and be like, "Yes, I so know exactly what you're feeling. I know why right. I want to eat the food that I'm not supposed to eat. Right. I know why I'm supposed to like uh, <laughs> go on adventures, even though like my uh, right. all the adults in my life tell me not to and things right. like that." So, yeah, um, <laughs> it was an experience. I think. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to know like, what do you? What does anyone else feel about? Uh, Perhaps those who read the book, yeah?
2: I would like to know your
0: thoughts in in kind of like when writing when you say hantu and the kind of hantu that you
1: chose and what? Mm. You see, in Malaysia, the approach to hantu is very different, right? (laughs) Because we just sort of assume that they're there. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) We just assume that they exist. Even if you don't really (laughs) believe in the hantu, right? Every Malaysian is still very careful because just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it doesn't believe in you. Mm. So so you, you, even though you think That all these things That you must do Before you enter the, the hutan is, is silly Or it doesn't make sense You still do it Because it's so much Part of your culture
2: mm.
1: That you I guess Do retain some modicum Of belief So in terms of incorporating I never really think In terms of First of all I don't really believe In saying that something Is straight up inappropriate for children in terms of discussion, whether that means Mm -hmm. hantu or whether that means tough stuff, subject matter. Um, I don't necessarily believe in we shouldn't discuss things with children at all. I think that there's a way to discuss anything with kids if you are conscious about how we present the subject matter and how we talk about it to them and how open we are to their questions and how we answer them, right? So I think... There is a way to discuss anything with children, whether it's hantu or whether it's anything else. Um, In terms of the hantu that I feature, I wouldn't say Hamra. Hamra has a lot of creatures from folklore and mythology, yes. The langsui is one of them, and she just happens to be a scary thing. Um, but there are also other things. There are bunyan and there are orang kedel, yeah. there are gagasi, gagasi. there are variety of talking animals, uh, all sorts of things. Fairy, uh, yeah. fairy, paripari, moon mm. rats. Like these are all things that that came from things like sejarah melayu mm. and and um, and our folk tales. Right? Mm. They're not necessarily scary things. I wouldn't call Hamra a a hantu book necessarily. It has some elements that are scary, but they're not there. Now if we're talking about the girl and the ghost. That's a book that's full of hantu. Um, that is meant for young readers as well. Um, and that's hantu of all types. We're talking like bajang toyul, yun, peleset, all sorts of things. And, and, and I didn't really hold back on that. Um, and in terms of appropriateness um, for children, of course I'm careful not to veer too much into the dark. If I were writing for teens or for adults, I would, I would go much heavier probably on the scary bits. Mm. Um, but when writing for children, it's not fair to shove them into a dark room and tell them the, the shadows are full of dangers and then not give them a flashlight or any way out. So you have to have a through line of hope and the ability to come through the darkness um, when you're writing for kids, when you're writing anything scary for kids, I feel, at least for me. Because it's not fair for, for, for kids uh, that you only show them the darkness and you don't tell them there's a way to get out of it. They have to know that there's a way to get out of it. But in terms of like, what I chose and how I chose it, this is the thing, I did, I did not feel that I was restricted in what I was presenting because, again, I don't, I don't really feel that there should be restrictions on what you talk to children about mm. as long as you're doing it in a way that's appropriate for their age. I don't think I ever thought about it in terms of what can and can I not do. Rather, how do I do it in a way that children would be interested and creeped out, yes, but also think about how they would defeat their own monsters in their lives, whatever shape or form they came in. If that makes sense as an answer, yeah. So, did you? How did you include any like uh, religious aspect? Uh, Are we to this something? In Malaysia, mm. this is the thing. In Malaysia, our culture and our religion go side by side, mm. and these hantu and this folklore are part of our culture in a way that's already so entwined with us that religion exists alongside it without it being in conflict. if that makes sense. So when you speak to a lot of people about hantu in Malaysia, what people believe and how they reconcile it with with their beliefs with their muslim beliefs is that they believe hantu to really just be another form of jin but jinn yang jahat bukan jin yang baik jin yang jahat <laughs> and so what we understand then from that is that this world exists alongside ours and should not bleed into each other but sometimes it does sometimes the, there's a rift in the veil sometimes the the walls are thin and then things bleed through that shouldn't bleed through and that's when you get these kinds of very scary situations and yes Jin boleh ambil a lot of different types of forms right we know this and so that's how people reconcile this belief between the cultural and the religious so there is a way for them to exist side by side religion neither religion nor culture in this region exists in silos they both have to exist alongside each other you cannot take away apa yang orang melayu belief and upper yang orang Islam believe because they have to exist side by side these are two parts of us that we have to reconcile with each other and that's how I think we do it yeah. so there's a way to write about things that is respectful and that doesn't go against your core Islamic beliefs um, and I hope that that's what my books do <laughs> I hope but, but we can we, we, that's, a, that's a matter that's again Subjective according to readers Because people accept things in different ways Based on their reading of things But yeah, there's a way if, I, I believe that there's a way For those things to coexist Because we already do
0: that In our lives anyway so Yeah, I actually wanted to raise A bit something related to that like I mm. felt that some of the horror uh, Like typically horror related um, elements Like mm. the lang sui or mm. orang bunian at least from a Singaporean, I mm. feel like, oh, these creatures are very creepy. I do not want to like, come near any of them or even like, think about visiting them or getting to know them or anything mm. like that. Um, but I felt that the way it was written was very subverted to be fun. <laughs> Though now when you say that, I, I wasn't sure if that was intentional. Because like, for example, the lang sui tripping on her mm. dress and her hair like being too long and things <laughs> like that. And I felt that that's, If I read this as a child, maybe I wouldn't be so scared to like um, watch Malay horror films Or I wouldn't be too scared to like be in my room by myself But yeah, um, but because I didn't and I think the stories that I was surrounded as a child was like Straight scary stuff Super scary (laughs) stuff, you know, true Singapore stories Or like, I think as a um, growing up in Malay community You just can't escape it I think Even if mm. the media Restricts it Like You I will you hear Still stories. always hear All kinds of stories From no, of all kinds of relatives of course As much as can. my parents Didn't want to tell me Any ghost stories right. I, I still heard it from everyone So I wanted right. to know Like Was it intentional then To make The horror elements, more fun, or more lighthearted, but... I wouldn't say they're yeah. fun necessarily,
1: because I think that Lang is still creepy. <laughs> I, I think, at the end, she's still creepy. Um, and so are the Bunyan. I don't think the Bunyan are ever presented as fun. I mm. think they're presented as straight-up dangerous, actually, for throughout the entire book. Um, what makes it fun, or what gives it the element of fun, is that you see that they can be defeated you see that they can be escaped. Because this is the thing, the ghost stories that we were fed as children were just scary. <laughs> the intention was just to scare you. Yeah. But they didn't give you the way out. They didn't give you the hope or the, uh, the belief that you could overcome the shadowy things in the dark. They just made you scared of the shadows. They didn't tell you how to switch on the light. So a book like, hopefully, what it does is that it tells you you can switch on the light. There's an ability to get out of the dark. That's what makes it fun. Hamra overcomes in the end. Hamra gets through it. Hamra faces the shadows and discovers that she has stuff in her that allows her to get past them. That's what was missing from the stories that we were told when we were little. The ability to get past them. So you were still scared of shadows under the bed because nobody told you that you could
0: look under the bed for yourself and see that there was nothing there. Yeah. And the note on religion as well, like,
2: mm.
0: um, interestingly as I read that this book, mm. I don't really feel that like the religious elements were so strong mm. um, and it goes back to what you say like, it just exists. Mm. So like she just happens to wear a hijab, she just mm. mentions she prays, Allah she like, prays, casually. She reads the
1: Quran, she
0: mentions Allah, she mentions Ziki, there's all yeah, sorts When you write that, as you were writing that, were you conscious to make that so casually inserted as a character in your book? Uh, Yes, because
1: this is the thing. When I publish in America, okay, and in America, a lot of the conversation is about diversity and representation and often that means your characters get reduced to only being muslim and how they represent islam which is important which is important those narratives should exist but i think true diversity happens when you have characters who are muslim who get to have the other adventures that all these other characters who are white get to have Without it being explicitly about them being Muslim, without that having to be the center of the story, without it turning into a book about issues around mm. Islam, I think the diversity exists when a girl in a hijab gets to be on the cover of a book that is about her having an adventure and having fun and conquering the shadows without it explicitly being about the fact that she is Muslim and having that be the central point of discussion. Although I do think those books are important, mm. I just think that diversity happens when we get to see ourselves as the heroes of stories, all kinds of stories, not just stories about our oppression, not just stories where, um, where the hijab is a point of contention, mm. Um, not just stories where we have to just delve into pain all the time. We deserve joyous stories, we deserve adventure, we deserve mystery, which is what Queen of the Tiles is. Yeah. We deserve to be seen as allowing ourselves to be the heroes of all types of stories. And so that's why consciously Hamra is a little girl in a tudong who happens to be Muslim, yes, but she's going through an adventure and that's what the point of it is. Like. She just is, she should just be allowed to exist that way Like casually as you say yeah. Because otherwise then What are th- our stories? All our stories are about pain yeah. <laughs> Otherwise Every story with a person in a hijab Is going to be a story of pain Unless we consciously start writing Muslim
0: girls and boys Into s- other types of narrative And it's yeah. important to have such narratives yeah. I feel like where characters are like look like me or look like the two of us and yeah. they just exist They just exist. in their own adventure they don't have to explain own, themselves they yeah. don't have to apologise for themselves they just exist there was no explanation at all actually, no which was I, 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 I loved it <laughs> sorry I, I love got it very, so like, much
1: <laughs> all I want explain that like <laughs> you mentioned earlier unapologetic and that's what I want to be all the time mm. my books don't italicise mm-hmm. they don't provide glossaries. They will use Malay phrases and sometimes Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever, just like that. And it's because... I find italicizing to be a way of uh, To be a very othering thing mm. And I see no need to do it Because, because my characters are, are speaking their own language They're not speaking a foreign language If anything, all the English should be italicized in this book <laughs> Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and if, if people in the West can read Tolkien And accept that Elvish is a language Then surely they can look up some Malay every once in a while Like, it's just If I've done my job right Then the context is enough To tell you what those words mean And... If there's a phrase in there you don't recognise, maybe, maybe other readers should just accept that some books are not for, written for them la, or for their gaze. That's all. But yes, I don't, yeah. I don't like to apologise, and I feel that italics and glossaries are f- almost a form of apology. Mm. Um, and I do get some backlash for that <laughs> um, from, from, from Western readers. Right. But you know,
0: I mean, that the beginning
2: of the book, I, was, I was really. Um, Happy when you did not explain what is a proton gun. You know. No, <laughs> <laughs> don't care, la. You can tell me car. Why don't you explain yeah. what it is? Nonsense. I think the world knows proton cycle
1: <laughs> No, But see, this is the thing. This is the thing. Okay, for the weight of our sky, um, there is a part that references a Ford Anglia, yeah. which would have been a very popular make of car here at the time. And if I tell you as a Southeast Asian, Ford Anglia, you you could sort of know what that means. And during copy edits, one of the copy editors put a note there that said Should we change this to Ford so that it is more uh, recognisable for American readers? Now if I tell you Ford, what do you mm. think? You think pickup trucks, you think like all this rugged road, you know, stuff and I was like, no, you cannot change it to Ford, that's a completely different So you brought up Proton Weera, I'm like, yeah, people understand it's a car And that's literally what it was, my editor, bless her heart went stat which means don't change anything and then she wrote that the reader will understand this is a car <laughs> <laughs> this, this urge to like spoon feed this like phantom western white reader that you're supposed to like cater to is nonsense mm. it's nonsense
2: yes so know, I actually wanted to ask mm. um, did
0: you choose which words uh, are in Malay and which words are in English for example like
1: Where uh? <laughs> no? What story, yeah? Uh? Sorry. But oh, oh, this story I say it uh, e- yes. e- is it. Oh. A- Did I? So yeah,
0: not remember.
1: yeah, you know like if, uh, I'm getting that
0: you're saying that yeah, the writer does job well or Yeah, the then they would understand. So yeah, I was wondering how you mm. So how how do you choose how do I choose like, which words which so words so you know, to include? Obviously know, this was written in
2: English.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. English, but yeah.
2: I'm not speaking in English.
1: No. Yeah. yeah so I uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um how do I choose is a good question How do I choose Sometimes um, Probably using it Was an easy shorthand Rather than having to explain Raya Because some things To provide context Would take too much space So I would have to use Too many words okay. um, But sometimes uh, I put stuff in there Because it feels natural Because we naturally speak Like a Manglish Sort of thing yeah. Anyway mm-hmm. um, So it's really Whatever feels natural To the character At the time If I feel like inserting it At the time and just put it in there <laughs> uh mangkok is a thing that i like to put in there as a as an insult fairly often because it's just fun um <laughs> like like also Bangao also Bangao, uh, Stuff like that Like yeah Actually
0: poor Ilyas, Ilyas He gets uh, called bangao Like all the time Poor Ilias. I put him through too much
1: Like somebody yeah. was telling me Maybe you should make Ilyas a hero In your next story I was like actually yeah put Yeah him, I, I would read, read that I put him through I read that put the poor kid through so much Like maybe I should like Make him the hero
2: he deserves, a, he deserves a story He deserves something on his own
1: uh. One where maybe Hamra Is nicer to him
0: also
1: Such a terrible girl Anyway <laughs> um, the short answer is vibes yeah. <laughs> I vibes. just choose based on vibes um, There's which, no formula There's no formula mm. But that, that's the thing um, My entire career is built on vibes <laughs> Just go with what feels right okay, um, But yeah, there's no set formula mm. It's just If I feel like a, 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 a phrase or a word is mm. more natural When it yeah. comes out in BM Then it's written in BM If if sometimes, like, it, that's shorthand Because I have to save some space um, Because I, I can't spend another paragraph Explaining what Raya is My editor <laughs> would kill me So <laughs> I, have to, I have to explain it in a way that's, like, snappy uh, So sometimes I have to rely on, on certain English terms Because it would be harder to explain the your whole thing uh, But yeah, there's no set for me the, the uh, her Because
0: even her of and her thoughts, right? Yeah Can be equally well, English. Yes, yes.
1: English. It like, oh, yeah. Although mm. I, I, have, I have heard someone say, someone has commented before that the syntax is very distinctly Asian a lot of the time. Yes, but, even um, the but even the English is quite acceptable. But even the English is acceptable. <laughs> like, you could read it either way. So I could
0: be either Asian or American, you wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you read like, <laughs> Harry Potter books as well, like you can see that sometimes um, the author would mention like, Latin. Like mm. who knows Latin? Latin's a dead language mm. But there's so much Latin in mm. Harry Potter Like a lot of Latin that has no... Um, that's not always italicized Only the spells are italicized mm. But like you know a lot of Latin words Latin phrases, Latin poetry mm. But there's no uh, explanation as well And people yeah. are okay with it So yeah. I think being okay Maybe with... if JK can yeah. do it Nantang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so including um, you know, Malay terms in an English written book. I think it's okay, you know, especially yeah. Even some of the words I didn't know, and I'm a no, Malay. And I, and I, the <laughs> thing is, like,
1: I get, I yeah. get if, if you if you like chart a map from like the weight of Our sky to hammer, I get like progressively like I try and push it more and more with every book as well. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they didn't complain last time. You know, you put more Malay in here. Like, see what happens. Like, it just gets a little bit more Malay every time. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I, I am blessed with editors who understand what I'm trying to do, um, and that's also because I'm very upfront about. Um, When I start working with anybody new Any agent or a new editor I'm very upfront about the fact that I do write Malaysian stories Mm. I write stories that feature Malaysian characters That feature Malaysian settings And I don't really intend to Whitewash them or change them Or insert a a Western or white point of view Where it doesn't belong Mm. Um, And I'm very upfront about that Because Not in a way that's like rude Far be it from me to be rude But In a way where I I just want to make it clear Because if, if you have a problem with that, then this is not a business relationship that we should be pursuing. And I should go and find someone else who understands and is on board with that. Mm. Um, and so I have editors who are very understanding because they knew from the beginning this is what I wanted to do. Um, and I wasn't really going to change. Quite stubborn.
2: <laughs> I wasn't really going
1: to change um, that stance. I will change a lot of things. Like I, I understand the editing process is about making a book better and it's a collaborative effort. I understand that and I will accept feedback that will make the work better but if it
0: is changing those specific things then I won't do it yeah and maybe going back go uh writing on that like Mm. then how do you reconcile that you are writing in English Mm. which is
2: the language of the colonizers yeah that
0: I mean that (laughs) and also like in general like it's to widen the audience, right? Because there are more English speakers than Malay speakers in the world. So how do you reconcile that? And when you say that you want to write for Malaysians, you want to write about Malaysian characters, then why choose English? Uh, Have you ever thought about that? And I'm curious to know your thoughts on that as well.
1: Well, first of all, if I write stories about Malaysia and for Malaysians, which I I do, Mm. um, but kept it within Malaysia, then we are receiving our own stories, which is great. But what I want is people outside to start reading our stories too. And to do that, I have to write in English. If I want to be read, if I want to push Malaysian stories or my version of Malaysian stories out into the world, then it has to be in a medium that the world can accept. Because we know that translation, even though it's very important and it should be done more, it doesn't have the same level of visibility. It simply does not. Um, And it's very hard to push out, and translation in Malaysia is still quite a young industry, Mm. so the ability to push things out is that much harder. I wanted... My books are for Malaysians, but they are also for other people. Um, It's like this. There is a very famous... There's a very famous person that now I don't remember their name, which I feel really bad. But basically, she's a very smart lady, (laughs) a professor, um, who says that children's fiction has to serve as windows and mirrors. And what that means is that kids in the majority group need to have mirrors to their own experiences. They need to have literature that reflects who they are, and where they come from, and their own experiences, and their own backgrounds. But it should also serve as windows into new cultures, into new experiences, into things that are unlike what they grew up with. Now we, here in Southeast Asia, Malaysia specifically, because that's where I grew up, but Southeast Mm -hmm. Asia in general, (coughs) when we were growing up, and still to some extent now, what we get is a lot of windows. What we get is a lot of windows. Um, And now it's better. We have more mirrors now. Publishing in Singapore especially. There are so many... You guys have so many mirrors now. But when you talk about the West, most of what they have is mirrors. (laughs) Hmm. Most of what they have is mirrors. And they don't have enough windows. Not just to other... Types of American experiences, but to the rest of the world, (coughs) there's not enough windows. And that's what my books are intended to do, is to be a mirror for us and to be a window for somebody else. And I can't do that, I can't be somebody's window if I publish just for us within the region. I can't really be that window. If I want to be a window, I have to go out. Yeah, so that's why my books are written in English. It's very funny because there will be people <laughs> there will be people who are like, You're writing Malaysian stories but you're writing English, like <laughs> how like why would you do that? You know, you're just appealing to the colonizers. I'm like, yeah. I'm taking our
0: stories and I'm selling them back to the colonizers. Like it, uh, you know. I think we've also come to a point where English isn't some people say English isn't even the language of the colonizer anymore. No, um, I think we should
1: reclaim it honestly. Yeah, like if s- you forced it upon us, if, if if this language has been forced upon us, we are allowed to make it our own and to earn a living from it. Mm. I think it's perfectly fine.
0: So like, as you say Manglish Yeah is like your own version reclaim of English. It, nah, yeah, turn it it into it's, your it's no longer just a language of the colonizer, but it's well, right now language medium, is also a yeah. living, evolving thing. Exactly. So it's no longer yeah.
1: it's no, what was passed on to us is no longer the same as what it is now. But Exactly. Anyway, this is a complicated
0: topic, <laughs> but still, yeah, yes. Um,
2: thanks so much for your book. I really enjoyed. Reading oh,
0: thank you, all thank you, um, <laughs> thank you.
2: So you mentioned just now that you know children's books should be windows and mirrors. Mm. I'm wondering, like in the West, if you've had any children or young adults come to you saying that your book about a Malaysian girl resonated with them as a mm. Western, maybe yes. Western Muslim
1: child. Western Muslim, but just in general, children, mm. because. Um, children just really love good stories. And they're not really thinking in terms of where it comes from and what window it's opening to me. Like, that's not a thing that they're thinking about. They're just thinking about, are you giving them a really good story? Um, and yes, I've heard from kid readers who, who read my books till they fall apart. I've seen The Weight of Our Sky in um, reading lists and curriculums in, in the US, um, and The Girl and the Ghost as well. Um, so this exchange is happening. My favorite, and I told, I told this, I said this during a panel at AFCC yesterday, but my, my absolute favorite thing is, not yesterday, on Friday, um, is a mom DMing me on Instagram telling me that for um, Halloween celebrations at their child's school, they are dressed up as a police My favourite thing in the world Uh, A parade of like Ghosts and Frankensteins And whatever And then there's suddenly This kid dressed as a pelisset It was awesome She sent me a picture He's like all in black He's got horns on and everything And then she's like You can't tell But inside his cloak He's carrying a little toy grasshopper (laughs) So he can pretend to be a proper pelisset I was like this is amazing She's like yeah He's read your book like 10 times (laughs) Mm. So this exchange is happening It's happening um, and the backlash that I get is never from kids. It's from adults. It's from adults. Yeah. So it's it's the adults who bring their preconceived notions of the world to the reading. The kids just want a good story, in my experience. They don't bring
2: those kind of I was thinking points. about that because so I'm an adult. Mm. Um, really? It's <laughs> a <Really? young laughs> <young laughs> adult novel. So mm. firstly, as a Malaysian also, it made me mm. feel seen and it was healing. Mm. So I was wondering, 100. like, because I don't, I, I'm not no longer able to empathize with young people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the book allowed me to kind of, the books allowed me to kind of like see things from their perspective and empathize mm. with them. So I'm wondering like two questions. So first, like, how do you as a writer get to a point where you're also able to kind of like provide that lens, <coughs> being an adult yourself? Mm. Um, and second is, um, you know, I love hearing that kids from other cultures are embracing that. <laughs> you know, I love that. Mm. Um, but I'm also wondering, like, when they read it, do they feel like, yeah, this is what I'm thinking, this is what mm. I'm feeling? Mm. Um, I'm ju- I, just, I was just curious about that.
1: Okay. So the first question is how I managed to write from the point of view of children. Um, A, possibly I never really grew up. <laughs> There's an argument to be made there that I didn't really grow up. Um, but B, and again, this is the thing I've talked about. I apologise if you were at any of my sessions at AFCC and I've already said this before. I feel like I'm repeating myself um, <laughs> for those uh, people who were there. But I think sometimes, as adults, as adults, I think sometimes there's a tendency to think of children as somehow lesser people when really they, are, they, they experience the full range of human emotion just as we do, only they don't have the tools to maybe process it the way that we do. Okay? Um, and so the tendency is to tell children, you, you shouldn't feel this way or you should, you should act this way or you shouldn't act this way. Um, or to believe that they cannot understand certain things. Um, because we don't think they're able to. Um, I think relating to children is just understanding that they feel and think the same way that you do, but don't have the tools that you have. Yeah, And if once you understand that, then there's not really an issue in relating to kids at all. They're just you, but without all the experiences and tools and resources that you have to manage all the rough stuff that's going on in your brain. They've just got all of that all up in there and they don't know how to untangle it. And that's why they act out in certain ways. So your job then is to help them untangle that stuff, right? Um, Whether that's as a parent or as an educator or as as an author of books, right? Those are the things, that's sort of the responsibility that you have to your young readers. Um, The second question has completely slipped my mind. Can you ask me again?
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can you remember what it was? (laughs) You asked about like what um, how yeah whether kids would like relate to what all the feelings and all the emotions and all the
2: oh kids
1: uh, readers in other countries
2: um, or just just in general
1: Um, the best feedback and the best emails come from the kids and the teenagers who read the book because I, I love you all for reading. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, the parents are the ones who buy the books. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that too. But the best feedback comes from the kids and the teenagers because that's who the book is for. Um, so you'll get, I mean, I get emails or, or sometimes... I have signings, and sometimes it turns into a bit of a confessional at the signing because people <laughs> will come and tell you very personal things and they will cry and, and things like that. Um, I have a lot of readers who will, teen readers, who will send messages thanking me for portrayals of mental illness. For example, not just OCD in the weight of our sky, but also the sort of PTSD and anxiety that, um, that Najwa is going through in Queen of the Tiles, for example. Mm. Um, because we, we exist in a very weird um, place where so much of the writing in me- of mental illness in YA especially is, it comes from a very Western-centric lens. And it can't be treated the same way here because we, we exist in a very um, specific Venn diagram of culture and belief and faith that mental illness filters through. Um, And so that's a very specific way of talking about that here that you can't really get from maybe other books um, in the same way. So being seen isn't just about being seen as a Malaysian or as a Muslim, but also being seen for the struggles you're going through. Mm. Um, And so there are some very personal and heartfelt messages that come from, from those kinds of portrayals. Um, somebody at a recent event came up to me and told me that reading The Weight of a Sky made them realize that they needed to go and get help. Uh, and they were able to go and get help because of that, and get a diagnosis and get medication because of that. Um, and that's an amazing thing. Um, and then for the for the little kids, again, they're really just looking for a good story. So they'll come up to you, and their books will be in absolute tatters. <laughs> and that is the best thing when you when people are like, oh, I'm so sorry for the state of the book. I'm like, no, that means you read it, you loved it, you brought it everywhere. That's amazing. That's the kind of thing that you want. Um, so yeah, I had a little kid like probably nine, ten years old came up with a copy of The Girl and the Ghost that was absolutely falling apart. <laughs> And it was amazing, it was the best thing. She's like, I've read it 13 times. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm very happy you did that. Um, so yeah, the books, are, the books are getting to the people that they need to get to, um, which is good, alhamdulillah. Um, and I think that is a, that's an important thing to focus on as well, because sometimes when you publish books, especially in the West, there's so much of a... Drive to be ambitious and to reach for certain things you know, bestseller lists and, and mm. this title and that title and this award and that award but sometimes I think you lose focus on the fact that the most important thing is the work and the reader <coughs> and if you can forge that connection with a the reader then your job is done like that is the job at the end of the day and everything else is just noise Yeah,
0: it's a very confident outlook to have an, it's oh no, no, it's taken a while to get here <laughs> <laughs> I would <will laughs> think a so while to get, Four books
1: only I can say this kind of thing um, Because I'm a very ambitious person, right? And I want the same things that mm. other authors want I want, like New York Times bestseller, that would be nice This award would be nice, that award would be nice But you learn very quickly as well That the industry works in certain ways um, and that there are certain things you are always going to be shut out from just by virtue of not being American, of living here. For the big awards, for example, are not uh, available to me. Like what, what we call Kid Lit's biggest awards are not accessible to me because mm-hmm. I publish in America, but I'm not an American citizen. So I can't be nominated for Kid Lit's biggest awards. So when, when you can't strive for certain things and you feel a bit aimless, which is what I am because I'm quite type E, you see. I need something to strive for I need a goal or something, right? So it's been a process of adjusting my own expectations and tempering my own ambitions not to say that I'm no longer ambitious but I have to redirect it to what really matters at the end of the day Um, and I have to sort of shift my expectations for what achievement looks like Um, which is very difficult when you grew up Asian (laughs) and Striving for like straight A's, As and like Type positive and reinforcement that. <clears throat> in that way. But you know, it, it's, a thing, it's a thing that you have to come to terms with. Like. Your ambitions have to be tempered by the, the geographical limitations. Also the reality sometimes. that you face. The realities
0: of publishing. Um, do, you, do you intend to keep writing for the current audience that you're writing for then? Or yes. do you intend to like expand or no,
1: yeah, <laughs> I, I want to expand I want to expand I want to write all sorts of things this is the, this is the other way my ambition comes through I <laughs> want to write for all sorts of things all sorts of demographics all sorts of mediums one of my favourite authors is Neil Gaiman and one of the things I love mm. about Neil Gaiman is his ability to transmute a story into all sorts of different mediums and mm. audiences um, I would love to write a book for adults. I would love to write chapter books and picture books. I would love to write um, graphic novels. There's so many things that I want to try, um, but I have to pace myself and tell <laughs> myself I have time to do all those things. Like I'm not chasing some, you know, um, arbitrary deadline. Like there's KPIs. Time, or yeah, there's time for me to. I need to slow down basically and pace myself. But yeah, there's so many things I want to do, but I don't think that I would give up writing for kids and teens Mm. specifically. Um, Because I think if you ask anyone in this room now about a book that shaped you, it was probably a book that you read at this age. Um, I think these are when you read the things that stick with you throughout your whole life. Um, And so I just think it's really important that, that these kinds of narratives exist in the canon for those kids for whom it could be something that sticks for the rest of their
2: life. Inshallah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yes. I'm just wondering what was your kind of journey to Belgium? Is it an American agent? Yes. So is that in Malaysia or how did you get to that?
1: Um, Spoiler alert for anybody who's attending my AFCC session later Because I will be talking about this there But for those of you (laughs) like Again, you might hear this twice I'm so sorry Um, I have never met my literary agent or my editorial team They're all based in various places in America Mostly New York Um, I've only ever talked to my agent on Zoom or Skype and WhatsApp Um, When I... I first started writing The Weight of Our Sky, I did not know what I was going to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to write it because Mm. I had this idea, and again, I am an ambitious person who (laughs) likes KPIs. Mm. I was freelancing at the time. I was a freelance journalist. And when you freelance, there's nobody to give you a goal. There is no goal to strive for except publish the next thing and earn some more money. And so I really wanted to figure out a way to stretch myself and push myself and do something outside of my comfort zone. And I thought, you know what? Am I capable of writing a full book? I've tried short stories and I know I can do that, but can I move beyond 1,000 to 3,000 words, 4,000 words, 5,000 words? Can I actually write a full book? And I had this idea that was kicking around and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna start writing it and see what happens. And so I started writing it. And then as I got about 40,000 words in, I was like, oh no This is a book now, what do I do with it? (laughs) (laughs) I've got to figure out what to do with it now Um, And this is when I started thinking about Who this story is for, who do I want to push it to Who do I want to make sure reads it right? And I knew I could probably Figure out how to publish it locally But I was like Let's try Let's see what I can do If I try to push it further beyond the confines of Malaysia. Let's figure out if this is a thing that I can actually do or not. Um, and so I started researching how to do that because I had no idea what to do. I didn't know anything about literary agents, mm. about publishers. I, this was not something I set out to do consciously. This is why when people ask me about my publishing journey, I say it's all built on accidents and vibes. Like <laughs> I just, it just, I kind of fell into it. Um, but I had to figure out what to do with this thing that was becoming a book. So. <laughs> So I started researching literary agents, and I figured out that you couldn't be published by a big publisher unless you had a literary agent, and so I was like, okay, and then I asked around, I was like, do literary agents actually work with people who are outside of the country that they are in? I started asking around because I really didn't know, and the answer from all the agents I asked was like, yeah, why wouldn't we? And so I was like, oh, this is a thing that I can do. I didn't realize that this was a route that was possible for me. Um, So I started researching even more, I started figuring out what agents uh, might be a good fit for me and what they were looking for and who they already represented. The one thing that I looked for was agents that already had a pretty diverse list, Mm. who were not just representing one type of author or one type of person. Because I didn't want to be anybody's token anything. Mm. I didn't want to be on somebody's list just so they could say, oh, I have that one Malaysian, mm-hmm. non-American author, you know? Like, I represent diversity, same, yeah. you know?
0: She wears a hijab. I, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so I didn't want to be anybody's token anything. Mm. So I wanted somebody who already had a history of representing diverse voices. Mm. Um, and Alhamdulillah, when I sent out The Weight of Our Sky, it got a response that I didn't expect. Um, which is to say that agents were interested. Like They were interested based on the sample that I sent. Um, and they I started getting requests for the full manuscript or a partial manuscript. <clears throat> and I'm always very hesitant when I tell this story because I think things happened for me in a way that was a perfect collision of luck and timing. Mm. Um, I, I think talent is very important as an author, yes, but I think making it, requires like a, a confluence of luck and timing that is beyond your control a hand of god, hand of god? <laughs> yeah. honestly hand of god. like honestly um and so things happened for me progress for me in a way that was very quick you and outside the norm mm. um and so when i tell this story i always hesitate because i feel like uh, uh, people like to compare journeys um and i don't think you should you should com- compare because I don't think I'm more talented than anybody else. Like, I don't think I'm, like, outsized, like, genius and, like, I got the book deal so fast because of it. I do think it was luck and timing. Hand of God, as you say. Um, So, I got my literary agent and then I got a book deal. Like, that's... She she knew exactly, once she'd read the book, she already had an idea of which editors she wanted Mm. to send it to. And so she... We the process of cleaning it up was quite fast. We did some edits, but basically it went out almost entirely as I'd written it, and sent it to okay. her. um oh. So it happened very quickly for me. Alhamdulillah. Have you marketed your book in the
2: in the ASEAN Marketed how? In Sorry.
1: Sense, I mean just
2: since it's in English, there's a 400 million plus population.
1: My book is distributed in many places in Southeast Asia, but not everywhere. This is the other thing, Um, the the murky waters of what gets distributed where and what gets brought into which country and the regulations that govern that based on contracts and rights and, and all these sorts of things murky waters mm. <laughs> um, so for example for most of my books there is an international edition available which is a paperback thereby making it more affordable for people in the region to buy right? and that's a thing that I would insist on um, for most of my books for this one I, I insisted but they didn't listen to me <laughs> so it's only available in hardcover I was quite angry about that actually it was a bit a bit tiff with my publisher about that but this only exists in hardcover, although I hear they gave a deep discount on it. Um, But I, I get upset about that because I want it to be as affordable as possible for people in the region for which it's meant to be read. But there are a lot of things that govern what books get brought into different countries mm. um, that are unfortunately not within my control. I do as much as I can to make myself accessible to readers in other countries. If I'm invited for events, I try and go. Like I do as many online events as possible for readers in other countries. Mm. I did a Zoom book club with readers in Indonesia and there were almost 200 people. It was ridiculous. Whoa. For um, a book club. For a book club. It was, <laughs> very intimidating to get into the Zoom and be like, there are pages and pages <laughs> of faces here, and I can't see you all. Mm. Um, I try and do as much as I can, but I can. This is the, <laughs> the other thing about becoming uh, an author of, on this path is that you very quickly learn to realize that there are a lot of things you simply cannot control. Um, <laughs> which for the type of person that I am, don't know if you've gotten this idea from how much I've spoken. For the type of person that I am, the relinquishing of control was difficult. (laughs) (laughs) But there are simply some things that I cannot control. Um, But I try to do as much as I can within the region um, go as many places as I'm invited. Do as many events as I am asked to do. Mm-hmm. I wish I could do more, and I wish I was available in more places. <laughs> but hopefully, someday, slowly, slowly,
0: slowly. Yep. more translations, more stuff like that. Mm. And. Um, right now, I actually mm. would like to invite you to read a part of your book. <laughs> I did, like keeping yes. my finger. Here yes, for so I, long saw, I was like, I'm ready. I I'm ready. Man. So, Let's go. Okay. Um, this part is uh, just suggested by Ibrahim actually, but also <laughs> it's a, it's also a good part. Uh, this just kind of shows a bit of Hamra being more mature as well. Yes, yes. And she goes through a, a, a growth. Yeah. Hamra does. I put her
1: through a lot, to be fair. <laughs> if she hadn't grown by this point in the book, she really would have been the most hopeless character. <laughs> but I put her through a lot. And so it's at this point that you finally see her maturity mm. um, and, and her learning to <laughs> relinquish control. I wonder where the self-insert character in this <laughs> book is. She finally learns to sort of relinquish control, um, accept things, and learn to work past them, um, which is a lesson this author is still learning.
2: Um,
1: this comes in the final third of the book, so we were very conscious when we were picking it to try not to be too spoilery. We begin at chapter 26. I won't read too much, because nobody needs to hear too much of rereading, honestly. But, <laughs> but um, here we go. The pond before them was so silent and so still, that Hamra felt like she had to tiptoe toward the water. Breaking the serenity of this place seemed terribly wrong. She was almost tempted to hold her breath lest she accidentally let out a clumsy human sound. Behind them, there was a quiet swish. When she looked, she saw that the rock curtain had been closed again. They were completely alone. At the water's edge, Pat Blanc paused and stared at his reflection, the moon forming a halo behind his head. Are you ready to do this? Hamra asked him softly. No, he answered, and she did not press him for an explanation. Instead, they sat together, Hamra and the were-tiger, and stared up at the moon for a long, long time, saying nothing at all. What is it like? he said at last. And Hamra looked at him, frowning slightly. What is what like? Being human, he said. I do not remember. It has been too long. And I... and you are scared she said gently, and I am scared. She stared at the fireflies that danced all around them and thought of how to reply. I'm not going to lie to you, she told him. It's hard. There's a lot of messy, uncomfortable feelings involved, like anger and sadness and hurt and guilt, but there are also so many beautiful moments, and there's friendship and there's love, a lot of love. She took a deep breath. Mainly, I guess, when I think about being human, I think about trying trying to live a good life, trying to be a good person, trying to take care of each other. And sometimes you like the results, and sometimes you don't. But there's a lot of magic and wonder in the trying. Bob thought about this. But you have those things, he pointed out. Friendship and love and things worth trying for. I've spent my whole life in the pursuit of power, and I've sacrificed my world for it. Sacrificed love and friendships, and I've done so many terrible things. Things that hurt me to remember. And now... What if at the end of all this, I am left with nothing? Well, Hamra drew her knees up and wrapped her arms around them, hugging them to her chest. For one thing, you have friends now. Me and Ilyas, we're your friends. Maybe even Melur. She paused to think about this, then quickly added, well, that's a pretty big maybe. Really? Pak quirked one eyebrow at her. We're friends? Even after I... Even after the promise? Hamra's breath caught in her throat. Even the mention of the promise sent needles of pain shooting into her chest. All that hope, all that longing, and for nothing. It took a long time to speak again, and when she did, she chose her words carefully. Oh, so carefully. <clears throat> My opa is really old. <clears throat> and she keeps going back into her past and losing herself in her memories. And that's really hard for the rest of us, because it, like she goes back to a completely different time and place, one where we can't even reach her. But it's hard to get too mad or upset about it because, well... Because those memories are where her true self lives, you know? Not the person she is when she's with us, all confused. They're the best of who she is. She glanced at him, wondering if anything she said made sense to him at all. So I guess what I'm saying is, you shouldn't think of this as what you're losing. You should think of this as all the things you gain when you go back to being your true self. The best bits. Hamra closed her eyes and remembered, fur gripped beneath her hands. Teeth bared as they protected her from harm. Warm flanks supporting her exhausted frame as she walked amber eyes regarding her over a warm fire she took a breath it's hard to say we're friends right now because i haven't seen your true self i only know you as you are now but for all i know and all i've seen for all we've done and all we've been through yes you are my friend mm. Put that back.
0: <laughs> thank you so much uh hannah for that reading and um, for this session as well. Thank yeah. you
1: for having me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning here. I know it's a big ask. <laughs> I'm not in Singapore often, but I hope to be again sometime soon. Well, quite a number of people wanted to
0: hear from you, so... Alhamdulillah, thank you so much <laughs> for having okay, thank you.